Hello, and welcome to the Como Factor podcast. This is a mini series called Millennial Leadership. I'm your co-host, Jacob, and I'm also a teacher, an artist, and the creative director of the Como Group. And I am your co-host, Kim. I'm a small business owner, lifestyle blogger, and the director of business development and marketing for the Como Group. And we're really happy that you're here today. We're here to talk to you about a few different things, and this is going to be a multi-part mini-series coming out over the next couple of weeks. We're here to talk to you today about a few things regarding our university experiences. Uh, strictly saying our college experiences, right, Kim? Exactly. Yes. Uh, and so, Kim, let's just go ahead and um, start where you would like to start. Let me let me walk down the path of Kim Rhodes, the college the college student. (laughs) Well, let's see. When I first got to college, I was that person that um, I had very protective parents in high school. And I came from a very sheltered house. Like, you know, I'm from a very small town in East Texas. We maybe had like 3000 people in my town. So my experiences were very limited. So when I got to college and I had all that freedom, I was, I went crazy my first semester. It was like, you know, freedom, let's party. (laughs) So I really lived the full college experience, but um, really college for me was I was on the debate team. So I was really focused on debate pretty much all throughout college. I didn't really focus on what I wanted to do in my life or my career until probably my junior or senior year. My first two years there was really me discovering who I was as a person. You know, I mean, what was it like for you when you first went to college? Yeah, I I have a lot of similarities there. Um, You know, I can't say that my family was very um, as strict, maybe, uh, of a lifestyle as yours. Yeah. Uh, Our family was always very interested in understanding the individual and understanding uh, different interests and feeding those interests. So when I went to went off to college, um, I actually didn't do as many uh, as much partying as some other people might have done. I uh, I certainly spent time uh, reading books and hanging out with friends. I made a lot of friends still. Mm-hmm. I was still social. Uh, just didn't really engage with the whole like go crazy party thing. I was trying to figure out who am I. You know, in high school, there's a lot of things that you're forced to do uh, and a lot of things that are expected of you because either uh, you're part of a team or you're under uh, your parents' wing and stuff like that. But when you get to college, you really do get to branch out and say, ask yourself, you know, who am I? What mm-hmm. am I interested in? Where am I going? Um, I started out as a journalism major uh, and what that meant for me was I loved storytelling and I loved writing and I loved reading. Uh, and so for me, I, I started out in journalism and we'll get to one thing I want to talk about, which is switching majors. But I want to circle back with you, Kim, about debate. Were you, were you in debate in high school? Was that something that you started before college or just joined in college because of an interest in it? Yeah. So actually my high school, I was introduced to debate my freshman year of um, high school and it was the pilot program in my school. So we never had a debate program ever at Caddo. Um, And my teacher came from like the next town over. And so the the vice principal of my high school was actually her debate coach when she went uh, uh, at Roy City. And so it was all kind of like a small world, but she pretty much introduced me into the world of debate and what it was about. And if anybody knows me, they know that like I love to talk and I love to argue and I love politics and the government. So like debate was like basically me me being introduced to like what I felt was my life calling. I would stay up till like 4 a.m. writing debate arguments, you know, getting my cases together. Like it was my life. And so when I went to college, I obviously knew that I wanted to still debate in college. And so I joined the debate team, not actually my first year, my first semester at Tech, um, because I remember I was like partying and having a lot of fun. Um, So I was like, you know, I don't want to do a debate. I was kind of going through a transformation in myself of like how to learn how to use all the newfound freedom I had because I'd never been introduced to anything in high school. So like, again, I was going 100 miles per hour trying to experience everything that had been kind of protected from me in high school. And debate, I was like, took a back seat. And then my sophomore, my end of my freshman year, I was like, you know, 
this is not, this is not me. I'm not about this party and lifestyle. This was fun. I love the experience and everything, but I'm not motivated in my classes or in the classroom, like what's missing. And so I went to the debate team with um, one of my good friends, Matt. He and I went together to the debate room at Texas Tech and we talked with the head debate coach there. We're basically like, we're interested. And we were actually just going to judge high school tournaments. We're like, we have this experience in high school. So we'll come and we'll judge tournaments for you guys if you have any. And he was like, well, we're actually looking for people on the team. And I never told anyone this. So I actually went, I actually have never told anybody this story ever. My, my that first semester of my freshman year, I actually went to a the first debate meeting of the year and there was like tryouts and everything. And I like I said, I was going through like a bit of a transformation. You guys have kind of already had a picture into that. So I was not in like the best place. And I went into this meeting and I, I had been like a debate star in high school. I was like really, really good at debate. Right. It was who I was. It was my identity. And so when I went to this debate room and there were all these people that were, I wasn't the best debater in the room. And that was a shock for me. And I actually left. So they give you the assignment of what you needed to do to get on the team. I didn't even try out. I didn't want to write my debate argument. I didn't, I was so afraid of failing and not being the debate star that I was in high school that I walked away from that meeting. I didn't even try out and I didn't go back until I had my friend with me the next year and we went and tried out together. I've never told anybody that story ever before, ever. Well, folks, you heard it here first <laughs> at Kim Rhodes exclusive. And I want to share uh, a very similar story for me. Um, and I think a lot of people might resonate. Yeah. This might resonate with Absolutely. them. Um, so I was, the way you were a debate star, I was a soccer star. I, I played soccer um, my entire life, uh, ever since I was three years old. Played competitively, uh, played nationally, regionally, uh, even in high school, was on the varsity team and everything. And I got burnt out. You know, was it a big part of my identity? Yes, mm -hmm. I I loved it. I still have a passion for it. But what I realized was that first year of college for me, I did I did not want to play soccer. I didn't. I wanted to do anything but yep. play soccer. And so I think you know, you're partying, you're uh, socializing. Um, that was in my eyes, you know, the same as me not feeling like I wanted to play soccer. Exactly. And it was kind of like a distraction from my purpose, right? Here was this new, exciting, shiny thing that like experiences I was going to get to do. And it was distracting me from what I really was focused and my purpose was, but I was kind of bored with that because I'd always been doing that. And then again, I was now having to start from the bottom, which I think that's sometimes we're afraid to start from the bottom and something that we view ourselves as the experts. You know, we don't want to humble ourselves. And I didn't want to humble myself to start at the beginning again. It was so hard for me. So I gave up, I quit and I didn't even try it at all, uh, you know? And it took me the next year, I went in and I met with the debate coach and we went in there just to coach at high school tournaments to help judge and everything. And he was like, you know, we have a spot available on our team. Would you guys like to join? And we were like, sign us up. And so we went to our first tournament at William Jewell in uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Or it's Kansas City, but Missouri City. So like they're the same city. They're, they're two different states, yeah. but it's the same. Sure. <laughs> so in that area. Figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we went there and that was our first tournament and I was sold. That was my debate, like my debate career in college. That was my life from that point on in college was debate. That was who I was now at, in college and in high school, yeah. you know? Yeah, uh, real quick, um, what what was your major when you entered college? So my major was always English major. Okay. Um, I had, I was like a pre, I wanted to be pre-law, but they wouldn't allow you to do that. And if I probably would have been allowed to be pre-law, I would probably be a lawyer right now. But I instead went for an English major because I was kind of good at English and liked reading. And I knew I was going to be traveling a lot for debate. So I picked a major that... I could miss classes a lot and still do well in the classes. Cause if I was taking like math or I was like accounting major or business, I would be failing those classes because I was had a very extraneous travel schedule in the fall and early spring semesters until nationals. And nationals wasn't until March, which is basically the school year's over, you know? So Yeah. Well well, this is sort of how our stories diverge then, because you returned to uh debate and I, I love this story of you needing to 
uh, not only acknowledge and accept your fear of being the all of a sudden little fish yeah. in the big school. Uh, and I think a lot of people can uh, resonate with that. You know, there's always that saying that people, um, they never left high school. And it's because they never accepted that when you enter a huge new world, even though you have a lot of experience in something, you might not have as much experience as the pool that you just jumped into. Exactly. And so, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's all about understanding uh, your place and your your role and uh, understanding that, um, you know, sometimes you do have to start again from the bottom and um, that doesn't negate your past experiences. Uh, it just says that here's some newfound fear. And I think really it's a test to say, how much do you want this? You mm -hmm. know, and I love that you found the love for debate again. And what I'm picking up is that you actually became sort of a role model and a leader in that world. And so that's really, really cool. And that's what this podcast here is about, is about millennial leadership, about how a lot of us, uh, you know, feel that we went through similar stories in our own different rights and uh, interests and stuff like that. Now, where our stories diverge is I did not return to soccer. <laughs> I, I played soccer for exercise. You know, I played soccer for exercise and I loved it. But here's my story of my youth. So let me start when I was maybe, uh, I don't know, six or seven. My parents realized that, okay, well, my older brother was not much of an avid reader, didn't really like reading. Um, and this one, me, loves reading. Mm -hmm. And so actually when I would get in trouble with my parents for, you know, doing something naughty or doing something wrong or whatever, they would take away Your my books. books. <laughs> Imagine one of those that. Kids. <laughs> I was one of those kids. So a lot of kids, you know, when they get in trouble, they're like, go to your room and read a book. No, it was like, we're taking away your book. Yeah. Go to your room. We're taking away all your books. <laughs> right. And so, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I loved my books and I loved reading. Uh, you know, I wrote poems even at like nine, 10 years old, short little stories and stuff yeah. like that. I was always very interested in writing and in storytelling generally, not mm -hmm. just writing. What happened was, you know, I had played so much soccer in my life and it consumed me that it was taking away all that storytelling and all that adventure mm -hmm. and that writing and the reading. And so when I got into college, the only thing I wanted to do was read and write. And so that's why I started with a journalism major. I guess I can go ahead and yeah, uh, start telling the story of switching over into a different major. Um, so when I started college, I was, uh, again, very interested in reading and writing and telling stories. And I wanted to travel the world. And I thought journalism was the ticket. I thought it was like, okay, well, so-and-so is sent to Africa or so-and-so is sent to Thailand. And so-and-so is a, a photojournalist. And I was like, oh, that sounds so cool, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was just all consuming in my imagination of what I thought I could be. Now, two years down the road, I actually not only switch majors, but switch schools. So I join the university we met at, uh, Texas Tech. Texas university. Tech. Texas Reckham. Tech. Reckham. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for any Texas Tech people out there. Uh, and so when I switched to Texas Tech, I also switched my major. Uh, and there was a few reasons for that. One was I thought journalism was going to be something else. Turns out it's not what I thought it was. And that's okay, mm -hmm. you know? So I switched over to a major called electronic media and mass communication. And so still very similar, I ended up taking more journalism classes as part of that uh, major, but it was a lot more focused in uh, innovative technologies, digital storytelling, things like film, photojournalism, uh, even things like web design and and um, graphic mm -hmm. communication and stuff like that. So it was a bit more forward thinking, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, we've seen social media, websites, all kinds of things, digital marketing blow up. Yeah. And so for me, I think I made the right choice. And um, what I'm saying is that although I didn't return to soccer, I returned to a even previous interest, 
which was reading and writing. Yeah. So I guess my question for you is how did you know that it was time for you to switch majors? Like what made you, what made you switch? A few things. Um, Job market, (laughs) Um, to be honest, job market definitely made me uh, rethink some things. Um, Potential money-making ability definitely made me rethink some things. And then also I think what we're about to harp on or touch on is lifestyle. I think lifestyle is something that we often don't take into account when we're talking about our dream jobs or Mm -hmm. dream careers. So yeah, maybe you love animals and you want to care for animals. Some people, they might interpret that as being a vet. Some people might interpret that as being a dog trainer. Exactly. Some people, yeah. So it's all about the lifestyle that is built around the career. And so as I started learning more about journalism, what I started realizing is that a lot of these people don't have don't have uh, partners. They don't have you know romantic involvement with people because they're having to get up and go all the time, mm-hmm. and they're they're having to travel at a day's notice. And you know, current events. If you're if that's your thing, and you're a jur- you're a journalist, you have to be ready to just get up and move. And while that seems very exciting and adventurous, there was still a lot of hesitation for me. So I think it was all about the lifestyle. The F place. If you have ever wondered why some people succeed while others fail to survive, this book is for you. Beneath the placid surface, there is a toxic culture at the F place. The company is plagued by backstabbing leaders, drama, lies, scandal, and unhappy employees to the point that both the performance and the well-being of the people in the company are fractured. Rather than bore the reader with another leadership philosophy, the F Place uses a captivating storytelling approach to illustrate how to successfully navigate personal and professional change. Journey with these characters as they engage in political warfare, fight for their personal relationships, and apply the Como Factor, choosing to succeed even in the unprecedented year of 2020. True transformation requires courageous leadership. Whether you are a seasoned executive or an aspiring leader, the time is now to own and lead your transformation journey. The F Place book is available on Amazon and all major retailers. Visit us now at thefplace.com. Okay, so you're in your middle of your university career. You're doing debate. You're in this role model leadership position. Yeah. Um, what's the lifestyle <laughs> outside of school like? Like when you go home from classes, what else is contributing to your future or your love for debate? Yeah, so pretty much um, probably my junior year, my lifestyle of getting out, I would I worked at Potbelly's, the Potbelly sandwich shop. And um, I started at Potbelly's my junior year uh, because I needed a job. <laughs> I had never had time to have a job beforehand because school was always, um, I was taking a lot of classes and then I was traveling a lot for debate. But then towards my junior and senior year, you know, your classes, you get to kind of pick and choose a little bit more what classes you take. And so if you plan it right, your first two years, you don't have to take as many classes your last two. And so that's kind of my schedule eased up a little bit. So I was able to pick up a part time job and I moved up really quick um, and I was a shift leader there. And that's kind of where I kind of learned um, how I function in an environment where I work with other people, because like, I don't know if you talk to anyone, they'll tell you that like academic business is different than like real world business, <laughs> like academia, <laughs> mm-hmm. the debate community and like jobs in the debate community, I feel like are very different from jobs in the real world. Mm-hmm. And so my, my experience in leadership had always been in a debate in academia sense. And so with the hot bellies, it was more of a professional, like you have to hit these numbers. You're trying to, you have to balance out your revenue at the end. You have to make sure that you have food and you're dealing with customer service, you know, like a debate. I'm not really caring if I'm appeasing customers or relationships. So it was, 
Uh, it was a different experience for me and one that I liked because I was, whenever I was the shift leader, I was the sole person in charge of that building. And I learned really quick that I love to be the boss. I love to be the person in the room that everyone's coming to with their questions. And so really my lifestyle during that time was pretty much like going to school and then going to work and then going home, watching TV with my husband, with my now husband, but at the time he was my boyfriend, um, watching TV and studying. Like, I can't tell you how often we would have like TV trays set up in our living room on our couch. And I would have like three TV trays set up in front of me with my debate work, my school work, and I would be borrowing my boyfriend's laptop and like something else, probably, I don't know. There was always, oh, my writing tape. That was my, where I put my notes and stuff at. And that's how I, that's how I watched TV and spent time with my person. And really our junior and senior year, like we never went out. Like we were, we were in a relationship. We, there was no reason to go out. If we went out, we probably went out like once a month. So that's kind of where my focus was. I think, I think I was just more, my lifestyle towards the middle part was just more focused and more motivated. I was still kind of not sure about what I was going to do with all of my skills and stuff, mm -hmm. but I was starting to understand where my experience lied, where my expertise lied, and where kind of I wanted to go, I was getting more of a direction. I definitely didn't have the answers though. I don't know, like what was your lifestyle during that time? Well, so real quick, I wanna point out that what I think we're getting at is that as you age and go through your university career and you know, the more freedom you get, uh, after leaving your parents' house, um, you start to understand the patterns of your life. And so I think the patterns of our lives really show us, you know, in front of our face, um, who we are, what we're about, and not just interest-wise, but work-wise. Like, what's our work ethic like? Are we procrastinators? Mm -hmm. Are we, are we uh, do it as soon as possible kind of people and things like that? Are we studiers? Are we just wing it? You know, that kind of thing. And so uh, before I answer your question, that's what I just wanted to point out was, I think, um, you know, for anybody listening who might have either a son or daughter who's in university, like allow them the time and space to understand their own patterns on their own. Well, Right. When they first start school, everyone's like, you got to know a major. Like my cousin is about to, she just got accepted into Texas Tech. So she's about to go this upcoming fall. And she is so set on, I got to have my major. I got to have my major. Like, what am I going to do? And I'm like, girl, you got four years in college to figure it out. Like cut yourself a break. Take your first year, at least, at least your first year. And figure it out. Don't put so much pressure on yourself to have an answer. So when people are like, well, what are you doing? You're in college. You just graduated high school. You're in college. You're experiencing some life and you're figuring out what direction you want to go because high school doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of like the things that you can get into. And I feel like college is a great stepping stone and opens those opportunities and doors and your eyes to them. And so you really are able to start focus. And then maybe your sophomore, even I would say junior year, start saying, okay, now where, what do I want to do? Now, these are the skills I have. This is what, now what do I want to do? That's when parents should start being, okay, well now what, are, what is your goals focused on? Like now where, where are you leaning towards, you know? Yeah. So, uh, what I'll say to that is one, if you are a parent with kids who are in high school or about to be in college or even in college, Stop dictating their life. Ask them questions. Their life to you is now in their hands, not yours. Ask them questions about where they want to go, who they are, what they need help with, what they struggle with, and things like that. Um, I don't think it should be so much of a dictating of, oh, you need to do this, you need to do that, because what we know is that they'll rebel against that. They won't feel, that's not inspiring leadership, I don't think. And so um, for me, getting back to your question about my lifestyle, so it's kind of bittersweet, to be honest. Um, in college, I was very much a socially isolated person. Mm -hmm. And as a man, that's quite common, but also uh, as an intellectually minded person. Um, a lot of people are there to have fun. And I get that. 
I totally understand that. And I, for some reason, just didn't want to do that. I feel like I got my fun out in high school. That was when I was supposed to get it out. Just so everyone knows, Jacob didn't meet me until his senior year. So that's why he didn't have fun until (laughs) the end. (laughs) Yes, that's true. I was a very introspective person, Mm -hmm. all about reflection. But what happened was there was a sinister side to that, is that it made me actually become sort of a recluse to where I started developing this like social anxiety, but also started developing this lack of confidence to be able to communicate with people. I was so interested in communication. I mean, it was my major and all I wanted to do was storytell and stuff like that. But a lot of the times, you know, especially during that time of life for a lot of young adults, they're just not interested Mm -hmm. in hearing stories or they're just not interested in being challenged intellectually. Uh, They do it all day at school. And so when you hang out, they don't want to answer the real world questions or the scary questions. And so for me, it was a bit lonely. I'll be honest. Now I had my friends, I had my uh, roommates and stuff like that. But even then, you know, it was hard for me to engage with it. And so it's very, very interesting to see how I've grown out of that. And that'll be probably next episode where I'll talk about that, about how I've become all of a sudden this social butterfly yeah it feels like when i go out to the city square at least one or two people know me it's just olivia always olivia is my partner by the way uh olivia always points out that she can't take me anywhere because i'm gonna know someone there (laughs) and it's like how is that so contrast from being a total recluse in college so my lifestyle outside of school was very much interested in understanding the self I mean, almost every book I read was psychology. In hindsight, I probably should have gone into some kind of social science. I don't regret my choice um, because there's still a need to take information and communicate it clearly to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I still believe that. And I'm on that path. It's just, I read everything I was reading was about psychology and it was all about figuring out who I am. What is, what is this, what is this life? and my purpose in it. And I think that was all born out of not really having the time to do that kind of inner thinking because I was so busy as a, you know, very, very busy, uh, competitive athlete, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and so I think, um, college was the perfect place for me to explore within while most people were exploring with, you know, on the outside. Yeah. Uh, and so, Um, yeah, that was my lifestyle was basically being a little bit, you know, introspective and reclusive and. Well, so something that interests me, you said that in hindsight, you should have probably gone into social psychology. Did, was there any signs that you probably could have like missed, but should have noticed while you were in college that were like pointing you in that direction? But like, were you like, what prevented you from going in that direction? You know, I'll be honest, I think um, I think what prevented me from going in that direction was actually exactly what I just said about parents. Um, I love my parents and I'm very, very thankful for them. Um, But my parents and my grandmother and, you know, some people in my life would tell me how much they love my writing. And so it was almost like fueling like, oh, well, that's what I am to other people. That's who I should remain to be. And what I, what I got from that was that that's all I should do. And that's all I should be. And that's where the immaturity comes in and the lack of being able to really have deep thinking of the self and stuff. So I started reading psychology books to understand the self. Mm -hmm. And so I think my sign was that I was drawn to social psychology and social sciences. Um, but as far as like changing my major, I think it was too late. Yeah. Uh, I was already in my junior year by this time. I also was a, uh, you know, I was basically a full-time student. And when I wasn't, a, uh, when I wasn't in class, I was tutoring at the university writing center. So everything in my life was writing, reading, you mm-hmm. know, storytelling. You yeah. Know? So, and again, no regrets there. It's just that I don't think it was the right time for me to even pivot. And so, um, for example, 
uh, last year was the first time ever that I taught a high school psychology class. It just felt right. Everything about it seemed just so easy and so, I don't know, purposeful. And, you know, I had students who mentioned that, you know, they were like, how you've only done this, this is your first year. Like you've been, you look like you've been doing this forever. You're a pro. And it's just, that's, that's a great sign. And so the thing about it is like being millennials and being also a young millennial, ayo, uh, there's still time. I could literally go back to school if I wanted to. Exactly. I could go get some counselor certification. I could be some type of life or spiritual coach. And, you know, there's so much time for me still. Mm-hmm. I've only been in the workforce, you know, uh, so I, I'm 28 now. now. Well, yeah, the adult like post-grad workforce for about five years. But, you know, I did work in high school and stuff. Anyways, uh, but career workforce, yes. Uh, And so I have so much more time on my hands. And that's what I think the root of in the heart of this podcast is about catching people in that moment. Mm -hmm. You might be listeners. You might be someone who's in a setting or an environment or a career where at first it seemed like something that you wanted. And maybe you've hit a wall and maybe you've figured out that this isn't what I want to do with the rest of my life, but it's, it's been helpful and it's been a good experience, but I'm trying to see what can I do going forward. And so we're going to try and offer up our experiences. We're not an advice podcast necessarily. We're an experiential podcast. Hello, dear listener. I hope you're enjoying this episode of the Como Factor podcast, the Millennial Leadership Series, episode one. I want to take a brief moment to mention something that's going on in the Como Group world. Co-founders of the Como Group, Sonal Trevetti and Christine Strobush, have co-authored a new book. It is a business thriller called The F Place. And I thought I'd read one of our reviews from an Amazon customer. This is an amazing book for individuals going through a business and or personal transformation. I was hooked from the very beginning, never wanting to put the book down until I finished. I will be recommending this book to my team at work. You can grab your copy of The F Place at www.thefplace.com. And if you like what you read, please leave a review on Goodreads, Amazon, or Google Books. And stick around for a quick Q&A with co-authors Christine Strobush and Sonal Trevetti at the end of this episode. Uh, I want to switch gears, Kim, and talk about your unexpected interest. So we've talked about debate. We've talked about the, the partying and stuff like that, socializing. But what were some unexpected interests that that started in college and maybe you've still kept up with today? Um, yeah, I would say it's literally my career. It's what I do right now. I'm a director of business development and marketing. And if you look at what I was in college, like one, a debater, politics and communications, and two, a shift leader at Potbelly's, neither one of those exactly transitions into being a director of marketing for a company. <laughs> But um, I guess how I got there was uh, it's my senior year. I'm with my boyfriend who is now husband and I'm helping him with some of his advertising work. And we're both kind of, we both graduated at the same time. So we're in the same point of our life. It's our senior year. We're trying to say, what are we going to do? And I'm like, I have this English degree. Um, What am I going to do with this English degree? I did not want to go to law school. I just was, I was so tired from all the traveling I had done for college. Like I said, I was traveling all of fall and most of spring from March. So literally from August to March of every school year, I was always traveling. Um, So I was just exhausted with the college life. I'd been in college for five and a half years at that point. My, I was, I was away from my family. I wanted to get back home, be with family, get a job, settle down. So I was like, what can I do? And I I didn't want to be a teacher at the time because I, at the time I was motivated by money. I wanted to get into the career that was going to make me the most amount of money. In my mind, I was going to come out, I was going to be some corporate woman, boss, 
And I was going to have the big dream job with the big dream salary and all my dreams were going to come true. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, uh, ended up, you know, helping Steven with his marketing work. And I was like, you know, I'm pretty good at this. Like, I like this. This is not too hard. So I researched social media management online and I started to like kind of educate myself on Facebook advertising. This is like probably six, seven years ago. So right before Facebook advertising was even really a thing, like they were just starting it. They didn't have like a whole nother platform for you to go in and do it. You still like paid for it within the actual Facebook platform. It was crazy. Um, and I was really good at it. And I was like, you know, this isn't so bad. Like this is something I can do. I wasn't doing anything that I was doing before that I was really interested in. So when I'm being honest, if I ever loved it, no, never. So I'm still doing it to this day. I can't say I absolutely love marketing. I love the management side of it. If you ask me if I loved like the content design, which was what I was doing more so at that time, hated it. But it led me to this point and I'm very thankful for it, but it was not something I was expecting to come out of that experience. You know, I wasn't, I didn't think I was going to be, I didn't grow up and say, I want to be a social media manager. Like I want to be a marketing director. That was never in the cards for me. You know, I was always like, I want to be a college professor. I want to be a lawyer, a civil rights attorney. Like I want to, those were my goals. And so kind of when I went through that transition, now I'm kind of in this point in my life where I'm like, how do I take those life skills that I changed or like all of a sudden got in college and created and put them to where kind of where my interest lies? Like, how do I mold those two experiences together to put me where I'm at now in my life where I have passions and hobbies, but I have a career and I want them to both be the same thing, you know, which maybe that's a, I think that's a, episode later on in the <laughs> series yeah and that's the thing about this this is going to be a chronological mini series where right now we're all uh parenthetical to our university experience exactly uh and we're getting to the point of you know this is a very developmental stage of life uh for a lot of people by the way they don't go to college and that's okay you know uh even that age range is very develop developmental. So well, I didn't even know that not going to college was an option. You know, like had I known that, I don't think that I would be sitting on 40 grand worth of debt right now. You know, like my my brother-in-law, he went to a trade school and he has always made more money than me, even though my degree cost way more than his. So I think that oftentimes we have a very skewed idea of what education and like we put a lot of value into a degree and I, I highly value a degree, but a degree is not always necessary for all fields of a career. I think we should always want education and we should always want to learn, but we shouldn't be tied down so much by the piece of paper that gives us that credibility because my degree is not even in anything that I'm doing in my current career. I get all my jobs that I'm doing, not because my education says that I'm qualified for it, but because my skill sets that I have developed in my professional career say I'm qualified for it and I have a bachelor's degree. So they're like, oh, check, she's got the bachelor's. It's just like a check mark, you know? And so I wish I would have known that you can pursue other options in education and learning to get yourself into your career. You don't have to go to a, a traditional four-year university, you know? Yeah. I think what we're about to touch on is um, sort of that fine line between conventional wisdom and cliche and, yes. you know, getting into the, the murkiness of what is success and what is education mm -hmm. uh, and how, what we're seeing in culture and society right now is a redefin redefinition of both of those things. And so, um, yeah, no, I definitely feel the same way uh, like you do about, you know, college and uh, university. And I am very happy that I went. And specifically, I'm happy that I went because it taught me, if anything, not only how to be a great student, but also a really good teacher. And so that's what I'm very, very thankful for because now I'm both of those things. Yes. And so, um, and so I, uh, I wanted to kind of touch on, uh, let's just stick with cliches or things that might seem like conventional wisdom, okay. but might be kind of exiting the zeitgeist or the culture. Right. Um, let me bring up this, uh, 
Seth Godin quote. Okay. Okay. And so <clears throat> Seth Godin is um, well, he's he's an author, he's a podcaster, but he's he's a very very um, organized thinker and uh, full of insight, wealth of knowledge type of person. And so um, Seth Godin challenges this idea that you know you've heard the cliche. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? Right? Mm -hmm. You've heard that one before. I actually haven't heard that one before, okay. but hey. So it's kind of hitting on that 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 topic or that point or that message of saying like, you yourself, what would you do if you knew you could not fail? And it's kind of getting to the point of like, albeit a little egocentric, but trying to pull out your dream. You know, what is your dream? What would you do every single day if you knew you could not fail, mm -hmm. right? And I think for so much of our life and even historically, um, with good intentions, we've been led to believe in this type of cliche or this thought process. Well, he challenges it and he reverses and he says, what would you do if you knew you would fail and still want to do it? Right. Yeah. And I love that because when I think about it, it's like I would I would still teach. I would teach every single day of the rest of my life in any capacity I can, yeah. whether that's teaching on a street corner or through a podcast or in a classroom or uh, on a university square, whatever it is. Yep. I would do it every single day, even if I failed, mm -hmm. even if I ruffled some feathers and made some people upset or, you know, got bad reviews and yeah. things like that. Thankfully, I haven't gotten any better. <laughs> so kind of crossing my fingers. But that's what I'm saying. It's like, no, no, no. We got to flip this script. What would you do if you knew you would fail mm -hmm. and still want to do it? And I love that. And I like that too. That's like the true testament that you're doing what you're meant to be doing, right? Like when I first did debate, I was terrible at it. Like I was very, very horrible. And so it takes a special kind of person to keep doing something that you're very terrible at, <laughs> you know, you have to have like thick skin and you have to really love it. And I think that that's the key, right? Is if you're doing something that you love, it doesn't matter if you suck at first, because like you'll put in the work to get better and to be better. But if you're doing something that doesn't motivate you or that you don't love, you're never going to get better because you don't love it and you don't want to put in the work to it. And like the biggest thing for me is like probably whenever I started to realize that I needed to take change my marketing career a little bit and stop doing so much of the content design and doing more of like the management and directive creative work was when I kind of acknowledged to myself that when I was in high school and college, I would stay up until 3, 4 a.m. working on debate work, like writing arguments. I had someone would write, say one bad thing about my case and I would go and write seven different arguments and different ways to argue that one statement that they wrote. I had like an arsenal of stuff. I was committed to it and motivated and I cared about it. So I put a lot of time and effort into it, you know, whereas in marketing, you know, somebody, I do a flyer and they don't like one thing on it. Well, that just defeats me. And I just go back and it just takes me six hours to change the capitalize the V on this flyer and to make it yellow instead of white. You know, it takes me so much longer to do that because I don't love it. It doesn't motivate me. It doesn't drive me. You know, when I get criticism on that, I don't see, I don't take it as helpful criticism. I'm, it's, it's such a negative fog for me, you know? I think what you're really hitting on, and I think this is going to, this segment of the podcast really is going to resonate with a lot of people, um, is that it's about the risk reward, right? Mm -hmm. And I think what the Seth Godin quote is really attacking and getting at is, you know, the risk of failure is often seen as failure when a lot of the top athletes, the, the top, um, uh, lawmakers, the top uh, teachers and professors, the scientists of the world, the influencers, communicators, things like that, the the experts of the, the yeah. world, they're the ones that have failed the most. Yes. That, that is literally the truth. And so I am reminded of, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember who said this, but the quote goes, you did not fail, you won a lesson. And I love that because it's the reframing of failure and exactly. redefinition of failure. And so um, 
I think what you're getting at is really, really important to be talking about and understanding for yourself. No Mm -hmm. one can do that work for you, by the way. That's what is really important is that no one can do this type of work for you. You have to understand when something, and I'm going to choose my words wisely here. It's not beneath you. That's not it. It's when is it pulling you back too much? You know, when is it not letting you go forward? Mm -hmm. When is it holding you back a little bit? Again, not beneath you, just a little bit behind you, right? And so I think it's really important that we're always thinking um, about our roles and our places and understanding that we don't have to live with this fixed mindset of this is what I am and this is what I'm going to be for a long time. Exactly. It's okay to fail. It, if you're failing, that means you're trying. And if you're trying, that means you're working and you're, you're, you know, you're discovering and you're on the right path. Like you're doing what you need to do. I think so often, like you said, we're kind of afraid of that failure that we, we hold ourselves back or so often we'll start a project or something. We'll be, we won't complete it because it's not perfect and everything doesn't fall into place and everything has to be perfect and we can't fail. Well, if everything has to be perfect and you can't fail, you're probably going to quit 99.9% of the stuff that you do because Nothing is ever going to be perfect and you're always going to fail. It's just how you get back up from that failure and how you, you know, you, what lessons you learn and where, what direction it takes you. Yeah. It's a really good sign if you fail on Tuesday and show up on Wednesday morning. That's a really good Exactly. Honestly, because. Wednesday will be successful for you just because you got up and you faced Wednesday, you know? And it's, it's about incremental changes. Look, you're not going to be uh, an overnight star. No one is. No. Those people are so rare. And honestly, usually the cards were just dealt for them and they became overnight stars, not necessarily because of anything they did, yes. but because of potentially some privilege or some type of thing that was afforded for them to become an overnight star. Yep. It's just so rare that we need to be more realistic with our time, our energy, and our expectations, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's way better to understand that, you know what, I'm just going to be 1% better today, 1% better today, 1% better today. And then at the end of a week, you're 7% better. Right? I mean, you just have to think about it that way. At the end of a year, you're potentially 365% better. And yeah, now we're getting into a little bit of a crazy like data <laughs> and uh, skewed percentages. We're not but, the math experts here, you guys. <laughs> we know what we're talking about when it comes to understanding that how you treat yourself and how you define your life and your purpose in it is how others are going to define it as as you are. You know, mm-hmm. so when you stand up for yourself, what you're not what you're doing is, is you're setting yourself up for more success. And the success could mean anything, whether it means more money, I don't know, maybe mm-hmm. that's your success or more purpose or more reward or more free time. You know, that's a success for some people too. Uh, some people would rather take a pay cut to have more free time to focus on things like art or music or you know any kind of hobby they have mm-hmm. woodworking whatever and so i would just suggest and we're going to we're going to close out with some thoughts here and wrap up with um with a few things but i would just suggest honestly and my my honest opinion is find out how you can define success for you first Mm-hmm. And then understand how your definition of success fits in with the company you work with, the family you're part of, the community part of, and how you and your skills and experience and definition of success can be part of this bigger thing. Because that's what life is. That's what human life is, is not about what can I do for me? It's what can I do for others? Because that's how you get reward and purpose and success. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so Kim, I want to real quick, uh, go over, I want to, I want to set you up. Okay. Close your eyes and imagine the week of your university graduation. Okay. Okay. Are you there? Yes. Okay. So all these, these feelings and they might be totally 
contrasting and conflicting feelings at the same time, right? Yeah. What's going on the week of your graduation? <laughs> well, professionally? <laughs> no, I'm saying like thinking of what you're feeling, what you're thinking about, and uh, are you scared? Oh, man. Yeah. So the week of my graduation, I was so scared because that's when, you know, like I was going through the career. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my career wise. I was kind of into social media. I was doing some of that work. I had no job lined up. But Steven, my boyfriend, he had an internship, had two successful internships and had a job lined up right away. So he kind of had some direction. I had no idea where I was going and I had applied for a ton of jobs in Lubbock and nothing was biting and that's where he was gonna stay. So I just remember being excited to be done with all of the schoolwork. Cause remember I was not wanting to go to law school or do any more schoolwork, but also being really, really afraid of what the future held just because like there's a comfortability in being in school, you know, mm -hmm. that you don't get when you graduate. You're like, okay, real world here, <laughs> make it. Right. Yeah. So. Like, uh, here, here's your, uh, here's your plate, fill it, you know, make it, you know, do something. Uh, yeah. Um, what was the moment? What, what were you thinking? Because you graduated, I think, the May before I graduated, right? Because, yeah. That is correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I graduated in May and you graduated the following uh, December. Yes. Uh, and so, okay. So that week, I'm, I'm about to graduate. I, uh, well, one, I had just rescued a dog. And um, Luca, Luca, we, we love Luca. <laughs> we yeah. do. He's uh, the best. He's a good boy. He's a very good boy. Uh, anyway, so just res rescued a dog. So I'm feeling good. I've got a girlfriend who is now my fiance, soon to be wife. Um, oh, and this is how Jacob and I met because Olivia is my right. best friend. So <laughs> yes, it's a small world here. <laughs> so, he, so he also met me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, um, I had been six months into training of uh, my first job out of school. So I had not started my job necessarily. I would be starting it the like following two weeks or mm -hmm. so. And, but I had been receiving weekly training, okay? And six months seems like a lot, but I mean, you're training to be a teacher basically. So you need a lot of training. And, uh, and so things like public speaking, things like, what to do if there's a behavioral issue uh, in the classroom, what to do if um, a parent is upset with you and, you know, feels that you're not doing a good job, things like that. It was all kinds of training like that. So I was thrown into this world of understanding how to interact and all of a sudden be this loud, but also firm and also intelligent and emotionally uh, empathetic voice in a, in a room of sometimes 10, sometimes 30 people, you know? And so I was scared. Yeah, I was definitely scared. I was, I knew that I had gotten good feedback from my mentors and my trainers. Mm -hmm. And they said, you're ready. You can do this. You know what you're doing. You know the topics, you know the curriculum. You can do this. And we believe in you. Still, I didn't believe in myself. And you know why? I want to share an etymology lesson, which is, you know, word origins. Mm -hmm. You would think confidence and esteem are rather similar, right? Because you always hear of self-confidence and self-esteem, right? Mm -hmm. Think of them as being sort of interchangeable, similar at least, you know? Yeah. Well, they're actually quite different in origin and in meaning. And it's really important that we understand this. So confidence it comes from the word confidere, which means to trust, okay? Mm -hmm. So confidence, think of confidence as a measurement of trust, okay? So if I have confidence in you, Kim, to tell me the truth and be a good friend, it's because I have trust that you're going to do it because I have reference, past experiential reference that you're going to do that for me. Mm -hmm. You're gonna be a good friend. You're gonna hear me out and be honest. So. If confidence is a measure of trust, it means you have to first trust your ability and first have reference for being able to trust your ability to develop self-confidence. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like what we were talking about the earlier part of this episode where I didn't think I could do it, but once I did, I knew I could. Yeah. That's it. 
that's self-confidence. It's a measurement of trust. It's kind of like um, after five years of being in the same job, you might even be a little bored of it because you're like, well, I could do this in my sleep. Mm -hmm. But the first five days you were like running around with it like a chicken with its head cut off, you know? Yeah. That's self-confidence. Now, esteem comes from the word image, okay? And so esteem is more of a perception. It's not really a measurement of an ability. It's more of a perception or measurement of, you know, what I look like to the world. Yeah. How I view myself, you know? And so confidence comes first. You have to be able to, even if you don't trust your ability, you have to start. Just try it. And if you fail, then you fail. But honestly, like we mentioned, failure is not the end. Mm -hmm. It might be how it begins, but it doesn't have to be how it ends, right? And so to develop self-confidence, please just look at your life and say, well, am I trying enough? Am I, am I understanding that, you know, well, I tried it once and it didn't work, so I'm not going to try it ever again. I'm yeah. going to quit. Well, that's not enough reference, right? You need to have more reference. It's all about building up more reference this week of your abilities than you had last week. Exactly. Right? And so that self-confidence and self-esteem is literally comes as a consequence to developing self-confidence because then you have a higher image of yourself because you know you can trust yourself. Exactly. So just a little bit of tidbit of information. Hope that you know, kind of jogged your imagination a little bit, but, um, no, I really, I really liked that. And I think that it helps me in terms of, uh, like I said, when I, when you, I think back to that first week or that last week of school and I'm graduating and everything, the biggest thing of, I was so unsure about my future and I graduated right at December. So we had like holiday break. So we got to go back to Houston and spend the holiday break with Steven's parents. And like I said, Steven had a job lined up in Lubbock and I remember applying to a bunch of jobs and, um, you know, I guess what I did is I lacked self-confidence because I didn't feel like I was qualified for these positions. Like here I was a fake. I was like, I had just done advertising homework and I was like, everyone's going to know I'm a fraud. And so I get that. I finally get a job, my first job in Houston in marketing as a social media manager for, um, <laughs> butt supplements. <laughs> I you remember, remember that? This, yeah. <laughs> And we actually go way, way back and we might talk about this in the next episode. Yeah. So stay tuned for this yeah. conversation because Kim was working for this company doing uh, some kind of butt supplements and she knew that I loved writing. She knew that I was a writer. <laughs> so she calls me up. She goes, Jacob, I need your help. We're trying to do some blog posts. And I'm like, yeah, sure. What's it about? <laughs> I think we'll just end right there. Christine, you studied internationally. Can you share about the value of that experience? Why you decided to do so? And how has that experience helped you to this day? Uh, when I was 17 years old and a senior in high school, I made this bold declaration that I was going to study at the University of Auckland in New Zealand. Um, the catalyst for my decision might have had a little something to do with a handsome young Kiwi gentleman, as well as, of course, my love for adventure. Uh, for nearly a year after making that decision, I worked two jobs and saved up my money. Then at the age of 18, I got on a plane to move halfway around the world with all of my belongings and three suitcases. And no, none of my family went with me. This was a solo mission. Um, and my friends, I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. I didn't understand culture shock. I really, I really didn't know what I was getting into, but I still wouldn't change it for the world. Um, my experience and growth living abroad and going to university in New Zealand went well beyond academics. In, indeed, I learned how to succeed in a completely different academic environment where in many cases, my grade for a given class was based on anywhere from 70 to 100% of the final year-end exam. At that time, their classes were year-long. Talk about learning to work under pressure. You fell an exam, you fell a class. I, I didn't fail, but I always 
um, put myself under that pressure and studied to make sure that I would succeed. Um, I also learned about surviving and thriving in a completely different culture. And that experience has fueled my love of international travel ever since. Um, what else? I learned how to live and enjoy life, even though at that time, guys, I was dirt poor. Like, talk about your poor college student. Um, my first year of university, you know, I'd saved up money. Um, I lived on $3,000 cash for the entire year. That was a life lesson for me in budgeting. And uh, I think Dave Ramsey would be proud of me. Uh, most importantly, though, I would say I learned about myself and the fact that I thrive on change. By taking myself out of the American culture early in my adulthood, I learned to challenge what I believe in and why I believe what I believe. And I learned that if I can accomplish that, if I can live and succeed in a totally different culture, totally different country, totally different academic system, if I can do that, I can succeed at absolutely anything. So my New Zealand experience was a tremendous boost of confidence, confidence for me, as well as, um, you know, it just, it launched my professional career. I had this thing, it was a differentiator, you know, very few people in the United States, you know, studied abroad, let alone all the way in New Zealand. So it really differentiated me. And to this day, I'll say I embrace change. I strive to lead by example in this regard every single day. So these values, this passion and, and many others have been woven into the fabric of the Como Group as we help people and businesses to grow through transformation. So that's my story. Sonal, Kim and I are wondering, what did you major in at university? If anyone listening might be struggling with deciding on a major, what advice do you have for them? Like many high school seniors out there, I had some uncertainty and even a little bit of anxiety about choosing my college major. So I did what a lot of students do and met with my high school counselor. He reassured me, of course, by saying, Sonal, the feelings you're feeling are completely natural and understandable. We talked about my interest a little more, and he recommended that I go into business, especially since I was already both working at a bank and the president of our high school business professionals of America club. When I got to university and he had to actually choose a major, I met with the college counselor there. I know there are people out there who know what they want their college major to be before they even start high school. My sister Rupal, for example, had the lifelong dream to be a doctor. However, most people don't, and I was one such individual. So by this time, it had become very clear to me how important choosing a major was. And after a couple of visits with my counselor at university, she suggested political science, and that's the first major I chose because she felt it would be a good fit for me. Now notice I said first, recognizing that this was one of the, um, the first big independent decisions I had ever made in my academic and professional life, I put a lot of pressure on myself to get it right. During high school and at the start of university, I always had jobs that were business related. Somehow though, the poli-sci track that I was on didn't feel right. I wasn't enjoying my classes that much. And at that same time, I also started realizing how much money I had started making at my job. You see, I was getting my first taste of money and started becoming a workaholic and putting school on the back burner. I decided to take some time off and started working full time. Because I was in a corporate job, I noticed that everyone around me had professional degrees and many with graduate degrees. And they all proudly spoke of the universities they had graduated from. Then one day, out of the blue, I decided that I wanted to go to a top 10 school and made the decision to apply to Northwestern University. I was fortunate enough at that point to have clarity in the fact that I wanted to be in leadership roles and get into the management track at the company I worked for. 
Upon sharing this information with my counselor there at Northwestern, we decided that the best fit for me would be to major in organizational behavior with a minor in business. Ultimately, that's what I graduated with. In many ways, I realized how choosing a major signals the entry into becoming an adult. After all, that major in education is going to help to equip you with the skill sets that you know one needs to procure a job um, or a graduate degree for that matter. So in sharing my own experience, I would say first and foremost, one should talk to as many people as one can that have a degree or have studied the areas that you may be interested in. And I would say, please don't pick a major that you're not passionate about just to please others. Thirdly, if you find that you've had a change of heart and think you may want to shift gears, it's okay. You know, it's, it's okay to do that. In the end, it'll serve you if you listen to your gut and pursue a field that you're truly passionate about. Thank you for joining us for episode one of Millennial Leadership Series under the Como Factor podcast. Um, we can do a shameless plug, right? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, so if you want to follow us, uh, our personal accounts, um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jacob Guidry. Uh, that's G-U-I-D-R-Y. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, though I am a private page, so we'll see if I uh, let you in. We'll see. But uh, just shoot me a message, honestly. Uh, and um, Kim, would you like to? Yeah, you can here? find me on LinkedIn too. My name is Kimberly Shamiok. That is impossible to say. So it is C-H-A-M-I-O-K. And you can find me on Instagram by the same handle. I am your typical millennial. So everything on my page is public. You can see my entire family, where I live, my address, email, whatever you need. Yeah. <laughs> We're, we we are a, a table divided because yeah. you're you're much more the typical um, perception of a millennial, which is like selfies and Snapchat and like, you know, yep. you know, doing the most. I love it. You know, <laughs> and then I'm like, no, you don't need to you don't need to know what I'm up to. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but that's why that's why this series needs to exist, because we're about to be the largest group of leaders, whether that's government or in businesses, schools, things like that. And so we're hoping that with this podcast, we can encourage you and inspire you to open up the conversation as a millennial, as fellow millennials, uh, to learn more about yourself, but also learn more about how you can step into your power, because that's really the important bit here, right? Exactly. That's the most important thing. We really want to help you find your mode of how to transform into the person that you're meant to be, whether that be professionally and personally, because we believe that both of those journeys are interconnected and we're really excited to share this journey with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, again, thank you for listening and uh, tune into the next episode. See ya. See you guys. Bye.